Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to our worship team this morning. First Timothy chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. If not, it'll be on the screen in just a moment. I started a sermon series a few weeks ago called The Will of God. What does God want from me? And there are these times in the Bible we see phrases like the will of God. We're going to look at one this morning that doesn't exactly say that phrase, but I think makes the same point that this is the will of God. And we've looked at We've looked at uh, gratitude is the will of God, unstoppable prayer is the will of God. We'll even talk about prayer a little bit more today. I want to preach on this today. What does God want from me? God wants you to make a difference in this life. God wants you to make a difference in this life. I mean, if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you feel like, and don't raise your hand, but how many of you feel like life is just <laughs> too hard sometimes, right? Like, there are times that um, life feels like it's too much. There are times that life feels um, complicated, maybe is a word we could use. Like you get up every day and I'm in this same routine. I'm in day after day after day and I go through this routine and is this making a, an eternal difference? Is this making a difference at all? And if you're not careful, you'll start to feel like you, you don't matter. If you're not careful, you'll start to feel like you can't make a difference. If you're not careful, you'll start to feel like a, a sparrow. Why, why a sparrow? I, I read this story. It was a little bit before my time. But it was in uh, 1958 that Chairman Mao Zedong launched his four-pest campaign in order to eliminate, well, it was during a plan he had called the Great Leap Forward, and the goal was to improve grain production by eliminating four pests. They wanted to get rid of sparrows, rats, flies, and mosquitoes. Sparrows, rats, flies, and mosquitoes. Sparrows were targeted because they would eat the grain seed after they were planted. How did they get rid of sparrows? China, millions of people got in on this project. They would bang pots and pans. Now, this is 1958. They would bang pots and pans to prevent sparrows from landing, forcing them to fly until they were exhausted and died. Nests were destroyed, eggs were broken, young sparrows in the nest were killed, and millions of people across the nation of China did this in order to eliminate sparrows, and it worked. They absolutely decimated the sparrow population, and for just a moment, grain uh, production increase and everybody was excited because the sparrows were gone. 
but it led to an ecological imbalance. Sparrows don't just eat grain, they also eat insects. And they don't just eat insects, they eat a particular insect in China called locust. And with the sparrows gone, the locust population skyrocketed. So that now with sparrows gone, grain uh, production has ground to a halt and the great leap forward led to the great leap backwards and the great China famine of 1958 ensued. 55 million people died because they killed the sparrows. By 1960, the government had recognized what they had done wrong, and they went to Russia and bought 250,000 sparrows and brought them back to China. You may not feel like your life matters. I'm sure the way they thought a sparrow's life does not matter. But what they found out, and it cost 55 million deaths for them to find it out, is that sparrows do matter. And I want to tell you this morning there, sometimes you feel lower than a sparrow, but hear me, you do matter. You are important. You can make a difference. There are times in your life when you feel helpless. There are times in your life when you feel unimportant. There are times in your life when you feel small. And look, I get it. I've been there. There, Look, there are situations where you are not important. Can we say that? You're not important. I'll tell you when I was not important. When our children were born, I was totally unimportant in that moment. Right when Savannah was born, 1990, I had gone through all of the Lamaze classes with Sherry. They had taught me how to help her breathe. Savannah came about a, about a month early, and, and we were in the hospital, surprisingly. And, and I was there, man. I was there watching the chart go up as a, as a, um, as a contraction came on, and, and, and I was helping her breathe. Some of you men have done it. <laughs> so, you know, you just tell her and breathe through it, and glory to God, I'm, I'm, I'm delivering his baby. But when that baby started coming, I found out how important I was. Doctors and nurses came in. I'm like, hey, I'm doing it. I got it. What y'all need me to cut? What do you need me to do? And literally, they were they were just one step short of get out of our way. And when I saw what all was going on, I wanted out of the way. You know what I discovered? The breathing exercises were not for me to help her. It was just to keep me out of the way. Because I eventually got shoved in the corner with a camcorder and nobody cared or knew that I was there. I was absolutely, do you know what would happen had I stepped outside of the room and been like the old days and smoked me a cigar while the baby was being born? Nobody would have known the difference. It was unimportant. When Michaela came along four and a half years later, I knew better now. I know they don't need me in here. Sherry started having some severe, severe, severe pain. Michaela was nine pounds, three ounces, and it, 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 it was some severe pain. And Sherry started, how do I word this? My sweet, sweet wife suddenly became um, not so sweet. <laughs> and her not so sweetness 
got me tickled. And while she is not being sweet and in enormous amounts of pain, I'm in the room for us to have this special moment, and I got giggly tickled, and I couldn't stop laughing. Now, men, you may not know this. You may be newly married. But if you start giggling while your wife is giving natural childbirth, she will not appreciate it. Here's how unimportant I was. She threw me out of the room and asked for her mama. I was absolutely unimportant to the situation. I'm going to tell you, there are times when we are unimportant. There are situations when we are unimportant, but that should not be the feeling of our lives because with our lives, with the totality of our lives, we can make a difference. Listen, you have felt that way before. I'm sure my life does not matter. And by the way, the lie of the enemy is to make you believe that every day, right? The, he'll, he'll whisper into your ear the same thing he whispered into Gideon's ear. You can't do this. You're not good enough to do this. You came from the lowest of the lowest of the lowest tribes, the same thing he whispered into Gideon's ear. The same thing he whispered into uh, Peter's ear. The same thing he, that, that you can't do this. You're not spiritual enough. You're not strong enough. Hear me. He will absolutely whisper the same thing in your ear. Hey, your life doesn't matter. But I want to tell you this morning, it is God's will that your life matters. It pleases God for you to invest your life in kingdom business that matters. As a matter of fact, let me show you some verses. Don't turn there. These are, these are, these are extra this morning. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul laid it out. When Paul is looking towards the end of time, Paul says we're all going to get to the end of our days. We're going to stand before God at the Bema seat of Christ, which is the judgment of Christ for our lives. And listen to what he said. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work, and if anyone's work that he has built survives, he'll receive a reward. So here's what Paul said. Every one of us are going to get to the end of our lives. We're going to get to the end of the time. We're going to stand before an almighty God, and he's going to judge what difference we made with our lives. And for some, we'll have gold and silver. That is imperishable works, imperishable deeds, an imperishable life. It'll be gold and silver, things that will survive the fire of judgment. But then for others, it will be wood, hay, or straw, things that don't survive the fire. I'm going to tell you this morning, it is, it is God's will that you make a difference with your life. It is God's will that you make an impact with your life. But the problem becomes we are not always about gold, silver, and jewel type activities in our lives. Sometimes it's more about wood, hay, and straw activities. We're all going to get to that judgment seat and it's going to be Maybe a mixture of both, but leaning one way or the other. What did you do with your life? Did you make a difference with your life? Well, if I, if, when I get to this point in the scripture, I need some help. What can I do that is gold, silver, 
and precious stone activity that'll let me make a difference so when I get to the judgment seat, God can say, well done, you made a difference with your life. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? It'll be on the screen. If you don't have your Bibles, we're just going to read four verses. 1 Timothy chapter 2, look beginning in verse number 1. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead, lead a tranquil and a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, here's, here's the phrase. This is good. And it pleases God our Savior. Now, Paul's right there. It's not using that phrase, the will of God, but it is the same intent in verse number three telling us it's the will of God. I mean, if there is something good that pleases God, that is 100% his will, and it's 100% something I need to pay attention to. So verse four, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Thank you. You may be seated. You can make an impact in this world. You can make a difference. You don't, by the way, you don't have to be on a stage to make a difference, but you can impact your family. You can impact your friends, your work, your church, your world. God's will, and it says in verse number three, this is what is good and it pleases God our Savior. So if there is something good that pleases God our Savior, what is it? Well, I think he tells us three things in these verses that'll help us make a difference. How can I make a difference? Number one, pray for people. Pray for people. Last week we talked about who to pray for, how to pray. This week I want to talk about who to pray for because Paul uh, uses four different Greek words for prayer for three different groups of people. Look at these four different Greek words Paul uses for prayer. He uses the word petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Those are not all just synonyms that mean the same thing. All four of those words in the Greek carry a different meaning. So for example, the word petitions in the Greek means it, it, could be, it could be used towards God or towards man. It means to express a sense of need. Now in the context of this, you're expressing it towards God, not man. Paul is saying that you must have a conviction in prayer that you cannot go it alone. Prayer is you expressing needs before an almighty God. And so when we come before God in prayer, we are asking him to meet a need in our lives. Then you see the word prayer there as well. That is the typical word for prayer. It is always and only directed towards God alone. What are those things? Those are those things in my life that I cannot get answered apart from God. Right, when I go to the word petitions, there are times I'm asking God for things that he may deliver through somebody else. It's a petition. But when I get down to prayer, I'm praying for something that only God can do. Thirdly, he uses the word intercession. It means an intimate conversation. It is you seeking the presence of God, not just for yourselves, but for others as well. Intercession is not just you 
praying for you, it is you praying for others. And by the way, all of these words are that. When you're asking for petitions, it may be for you or other people. When you're asking for prayers, it may be you or other people. When you're interceding, it may be for you or other people. And finally, number four, the fourth prayer word is thanksgiving. Listen, prayer is often an exercise in complaining. And too many times in prayer, we spend our time talking about what we don't have and where God's not blessing. And Paul said, when you pray, uh, you need to pray for people, but you also need to begin and end it with thanksgiving in our lives. Now listen, it is not so much four different kinds of prayer as Paul is trying to lay down comprehensive praying. We want to make a difference with our lives, right? You want to make a difference in your life. How do we do it? You bathe your life in prayer. Well, now we got to ask the question, who do we bathe our life in prayer for? Paul gives us that answer. He says, number one, for everyone. That pretty much sums it up, right? Then for kings and for all those in authority. Can I break those down just for a moment? What does it mean by everyone? Listen, that is not God bless all the people. That is you praying specifically for the people God has put in your life to influence in your life. That's your family, that's your coworkers, that's your friends, it's your pastor. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, pray for the people God has put into your life to influence. He said, number two, pray for kings. For us, that would be a president, government officials, which I do every Wednesday. That may not seem like a big deal to you, but Paul was praying for Nero when he wrote this book. First Timothy is one of the last books Paul wrote. He's going to be beheaded. We're not sure of the timeline, but Paul is going to be killed by Nero in either a few months or a few years from the time he writes this book. But yet Paul is urging them to pray for him. Then he takes it a step farther and he said, all of those in authority or anyone who's over us. So Paul says, Here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a comprehensive prayer life. It'll make a difference. I want you to pray for the people around you who need prayer, which is everyone. I want you to pray for those that are in authority. I want you to pray for those who are who, even our government leaders. You go on down the line, you have something in your possession that can benefit everyone around you. It is called prayer. And what all of us need to do is talk to God and it'll make a difference if you pray for people. As a matter of fact, here's what I believe, that if you pray for people, it spreads. It spreads. That when you pray for people and people see answered prayer in your life, that other people will begin to pray. And it's almost like a, a contagion that spreads from child of God to child of God to child of God. Emotions are contagious. If emotions are contagious, why, why can't why can't prayer be contagious? Did you know this? Research tells us if one person becomes happy, one person, 
the likelihood of a friend becoming happy increases by 25%. Not only that, if one person becomes happy, the likelihood of a friend of a friend becoming happy increases by 10%. Not only that, if one person becomes happy, the likelihood of a friend of a friend of a friend. You're making people happy you don't even know. You never even come in contact with. Why? Because happiness is a contagion. And I'm going to tell you, prayer is the same way. One happy person can make a huge difference, but one praying person can make a bigger difference. Who are you praying for? I'm not real happy with the government either, but when's the last time you prayed for them? When's the last time you prayed for the leaders who are over you? When's the last time you prayed for your boss instead of complaining about it? When's the last time you prayed for your coworkers? When's the last time you prayed for your family? When's the last time you prayed for your church? When's the last time you prayed for your pastor? When's the last time you, listen, you prayed for those people in your life that God has put in for your life for you to influence? Prayer does make a difference. Pray for people who say, preacher, I don't even know how for them to be, uh, pray for them. It's not hard. First of all, pray for them to be saved. A saved boss makes a better boss. A saved husband makes a better husband. You say, well, preacher, they're already saved. Then pray for their relationship with Christ. Who are you praying for? You say, does prayer really make a difference? Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, what does she have, 19 kids? There's some large number like that. She prayed for one hour every day for her kids. It said that she would take her dress and pull it over her head in quietness. It's the only way she could get a little silence. That's true with two kids. I don't know how, if you have more than that. But she prayed for her kids an hour a day, every day. And John and Charles Wesley, with the power of God working through them, were the architects of revival across two continents. Prayer made a difference. Reese Howell, you may have never heard of the um, Great Awakening in Wales, the Wales Revival, the Welsh Revival. Everywhere he went, revival broke out because this young man who started when he was a teenager went and started a prayer movement. Who are you praying for? I want to tell you, when you get to heaven, there is going to be some gold, silver, and precious stones given out. It'll survive the fire of judgment. And most likely, it won't be people who are on a stage preaching. It'll be people who are on their knees praying. You know, if you're not praying for your husband, chances are nobody else is. Did you know if you're not praying for your wife, chances are nobody else is? If you aren't praying for your kids, if you aren't praying for your parents, chances are, and listen, I can go on and on down the line. 
I can, go, I can move person by person. How many people does your boss have praying for them? How many of your employees have somebody praying for them? God has put those people in, in your life for a reason. And if you don't do anything but pray for them, you can make a difference through your prayers. It may not be, bring revival on a continent, but it could bring salvation to a family if you just pray. You want to make a difference? Pray for people. Number two, you want to make a difference? Here's the second thing Paul said. Number two, live for God. Paul said this. I want you to pray for another, one specific reason, and so that is that we could lead a tranquil and a quiet life. Listen, I have that verse in my prayer time every Wednesday. God, I'm praying for our governor officials. I pray for our state senators, representatives, our our national senators representative in Georgia. I pray for our president and uh, on down the line. Listen, I pray for one reason. I pray for them to be saved or that if they are saved, that they would rule and govern according to the word of God and God's favor would be upon them when they do it. And then I pray this so that we could lead a tranquil and quiet life. You know all Christians should want out of government is to leave me alone so I can live for Jesus and share the gospel. After all, I still, my favorite president ever is Ronald Reagan, and one of the greatest quotes he ever said was, the scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I don't need your help. I just want you to let us lead a quiet and tranquil life, right? And then Paul said this, so that we could do it in all godliness, that we could do it with all dignity, right? All of these are words that, are, that Paul is using to describe the Christian who is living for God. That is religious devotion, separated to God. That word um, lead a tranquil and quiet life, it meant free to go about our business as a Christian. The word godliness meant religious devotion, separated to God. Dignity meant moral integrity and reverence. We pray for people to make a difference so that we can live for Jesus. You want to impact the world? I'll tell you how to impact the world. You let them see you being an authentic follower of Christ. Can I tell you, people are watching you live for Jesus authentically or inauthentically. And how you live for God will make an impact on the world. It'll make a difference for those people who are watching you, whether you know they're watching you or not. One of the most interesting characters we have is Elon Musk. He, he does some interesting things, but this is, one of the more interesting in August 2018, long before he bought Twitter, but obviously was the biggest name associated with te Tesla. Elon Musk tweeted out at 12.48 p.m. August 7, 2018, am considering taking Tesla private at $420 funding secured. I mean, it's just a tweet, right? What does it matter? He actually 
It was a weird joke by Elon Musk. None of this is true. It was a joke. But shares, stocks jumped 11% within moments of him tweeting that. But it was all a joke. He actually was indicted on fraud charges, had to pay a $20 million fine, and stepped down as chairman for three years. Now, I'm sure his argument in court was, it was just a tweet. Nobody cares, but people are watching, was the argument. One day we're going to stand before God in heaven, and you're going to say, what did it matter, God? Why did it matter that I did that? Why did it matter that I wasn't authentic? Why did it matter that I claimed to be a Christian but did not live like Christ? And God is going to say the same thing to you. People were watching. If if there's power in a tweet, listen to me, there's power in a life that is lived for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you will live for Christ, people will see Christ in you. And listen, they will want what you have. Live for Jesus and make a difference. Here's what people around you are wanting to see. They're desperate to see real faith. Real faith. They don't see that much. They they don't see a lot of real faith. They see a lot of announced faith. I'm a Christian, but yet your life is no better than theirs. I'm a Christian, but my marriage is no better than theirs. My family is no better than, my finances are no better than theirs. My language is no better than theirs. My lifestyle is no better than theirs. Why would they want what you have? Paul said, I want you to pray. Pray for everybody around you. Pray for government leaders. Why? So you can live for God. So you can live for Christ. And when you live for Christ, people pay attention. And your life matters. You don't have to be on the stage. You don't have to do anything amazing. You don't have to have some kind of incredible talent. Real, authentic faith. Observed by others. Will not just make a difference in your life. It will impact everybody who's watching. How do you make a difference, number three? You not only pray for people, you live for God. Number three, I'm finished. Paul said you talk about Jesus. Look what he said in uh, verse number four. I've got it on the screen. It was in verse number four. God who wants everyone to be saved. God who wants everyone to know the truth. You see it in verse number four. Who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Can I tell you this? Living for God is absolutely what we need to do. But it backs up our talk. Doesn't replace it. That will require you, according to Paul, for you to speak up and to tell your story. That's going to require you to invite people to church and tell them about Jesus. Listen, can I tell you this this morning? Hear me. There is not a problem in the world that people getting saved and following God would not solve. You say, well, our our world is just in a mess. Maybe you don't like this person or maybe you don't like that person. I get it. I get it. I'm with you. But if they got saved, it'd make all the difference in the world. 
Do you know the gospel will solve all of the world's problems and the world is falling apart and hear me, it is a, it is a gospel solution. God's will is for everyone to be saved. God's will is for everyone to know the truth and that requires you talking about Jesus. Close your Bibles, I'm, I'm finished. The problem is the world is following the wrong path going off into an eternity in hell. I don't know if you've heard about death by GPS. You can Google the term and you'll see multiple people who have passed away following their GPS. The newest one I found was a North Carolina man that happened in October 10th, 2022, Philip Paxson. A 47-year-old father of two girls had been driving his Jeep at night from his oldest daughter's birthday party in Hickory, North Carolina. His GPS, which there's a problem, they often follow old directions. But they led him to a bridge that had not been operating since 2013 when a flood destroyed it. It was a dark and rainy night. He was following it down a concrete road to a bridge that just dropped off in the river. The barriers had been removed. The warning signs were there, but it was raining. It was hard to see. And GPS took him straight to his death. GPS literally drove him right off the cliff. Well, I tell you that story because the culture is doing the exact same The culture is driving right off a cliff. If you do what they say do, you're going with them. If you follow um, sports figures more than God, you're going with them. If you follow pop music, country music more than God, you're going with them. You follow Hollywood actors and actresses, you're driving to the same death they are. What stops all of that? Tell people about Jesus and change the world. You want to make a difference with your life? I'll be honest, I was thrilled to see these three points in the text. You know why? Because I can do these. I can pray for people, live for God, and talk about Jesus. And if doing this makes a difference, here's what I know. I have the opportunity to stand before God with gold, silver, precious stones. And my life and your life can make a difference. Would you stand with me? Your head's bowed, your eyes closed. Whether you're at Rock Spring, Rossville, or Dalton, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're watching online, give us just another minute. Don't check out just now. If you're one of our campuses, a pastor's coming just now. What, what is your life? Where, where, where would you assess your life? Are you making a difference with your life? Are you, are, is your life feel like it's making an impact? Chances are it's going to be directly in relation to these three things. How much time are you spending praying for people? Listen, you're not going to pray for people unless you have a plan to pray for people. You're not going to pray for people unless you're doing it intentionally. If you're going to live for God, that's not just you going around saying you're a Christian. That could do more damage than it 
helps. It's you living your life according to the Word of God. How much you talk about Jesus? I don't care if it's putting a yard sign in your yard, handing out an invite card, posting on social media, sending somebody a text invite. I don't care. All of that works. But how much are you talking about Jesus? I'm convinced that one of the things we'll stand in heaven with that'll make all the difference in the world are the people that we personally had a hand in bringing to faith in Christ. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Well, thank you, Pastor Joel, for a great sermon on the will of God. I'm hopeful that this message and really this whole series is going to continue to simplify God's will in your life. Because what I've found is that as believers, we often major on the minors in life. We overcomplicate what God has called us to do. And so God is far less concerned about where we live and where we work than he is that we're leading and living God-centered, people-driven lives. But we also see in this very passage that it is God's will that all people be saved. And it's very possible that as you're, you've been listening to this message, that the Holy Spirit has so spoken to your heart, which you know that there's never been a point in time in your life where you've accepted Jesus as Lord. And we understand that the gospel is very simple. And I just want you to hear this, if that's you today. The gospel tells us that all of us have sinned, that, that we're not perfect. We've failed to meet God's standard of perfection. God is perfectly holy, and so there's a gap that exists between us and God because of our sin and his sinlessness. And that's a gap that you and I can't bridge. There's nothing we can do to close that gap. We also know that because of our sin that we're awaiting a real punishment. And God has decided that that punishment is forever in a real place called hell. But the gospel literally means good news. And the good news for you and I, the good news of the gospel says that God saw our helpless, hopeless state, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die in our place. Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, but he was raised again three days later. And he became our substitute. He took on the full wrath of God and he died so that we didn't have to. The response to the gospel is just as simplistic. We understand that if we'll believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we will be saved. And so if you'd like to accept Christ this morning, I want to lead you in a simple prayer that, that would be a prayer for salvation, and you can pray along with me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from you. I know that I am right now destined for an eternity in hell but I'm believing and trusting here this morning that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for me and to die in my place and I'm calling on you to come into my heart and life and save me amen if you prayed that prayer and specifically if you meant it with all your heart the Bible would tell us that you are now a child of God and if that's you we want to celebrate we want to celebrate with you and we want to help you with next steps in your spiritual journey. And so if you would, we've dropped a link in the chat box. Uh, there's a form that you can fill out and tell us about the decisions that you've made. It's a short form, but we want to follow up with you uh, in the coming days this week. Hey, it's been a great Sunday together. God bless you and have a great week. 
We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.